we'd gone from telling everyone that there was potentially no work to me calling all the staff being like, we need you in tomorrow, we've got hundreds of orders, we need to make this happen. And um, it was a new mayhem, but like really positive, everyone just doing what they had to do to get it done. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. During the series, we've seen the monumental impact on the restaurant and cafe sector and, to a lesser extent, those in the business of feeding large groups of people in public. When will we attend large weddings again, celebrate successes, and hold large-scale public events where we can drink, eat, and be merry en masse? With restrictions for large public gatherings put on hold indefinitely, what is the future for the hundreds of thousands of people that work in events and catering industries? Casey Thompson is a co-owner of Blake's Feast in Victoria. Casey, how are you going? I'm good, thanks, Anthony. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining us. What's it been like the last couple of months for a catering industry? We've been talking to so many restaurateurs and chefs, um, but the catering industry and events industry has um, been crippled just as much as the restaurant and cafe sector. Yes, it's been a massive whirlwind and it feels like it's been going on for two years. Um, I think just a huge adventure for all of us, good and bad, but um, it's we're sort of right in the thick of it in Melbourne at the moment and really unsure of where we're heading. Can you take us back to those early stages uh, leading up to the shutdown? And we had some major events uh, stop, like the Formula One and um, some food events nationally. What was the impact for the events industry from your perspective early on? Yeah, so I guess like a lot of people, we'd heard about this virus that was around and but we were sort of aware of it, but we weren't taking it all that seriously. Um, from our point of view, we had a big showcase that we hosted sort of the 11th of March in the Royal Botanic Gardens and the who's who of the event industry were there. Everyone was still in good spirits, obviously pretty aware of it, like we were trying not to hug each other and the hand sanitizer was out, but everyone's still thinking, still thinking that it was all going to be okay. Like it was a beautiful sunny day in Melbourne. We're all, this was a structure that we were planning on putting up at the end of this year. Some of the clients that have booked it were there, potential clients were there, and it was a really successful day. And the very next day, the Grand Prix cancelled. And I think that was when every single person realised what we were in for and we just couldn't believe that it had happened. So um, my sister and I looked at each other when the Grand Prix cancelled and grabbed Andrew and my mother Jenny in and told them and we all just realised what was about to happen. And that day we had pretty much every event for March and April cancel, which was a huge amount of events because that's peak season for a company like ours. What was the impact uh, across the board with staff for a company of your size? Yeah, so we probably have up to about 100 staff, including casuals, in peak season. We are a seasonal business, so our core team is probably more like 30 for most, like for the quieter parts of the year. We sat down, did a cash flow forecast based on zero income for six months because that's at that stage what everyone was saying, it was going to be a six-month ordeal. And, you know, for us, it was a better time of the year for it to happen because we have a really busy November, December, Jan, February, and then winter we always plan is a little bit quieter. So we 
had money in the bank and basically sat there and did a cash flow forecast based on six months of zero income because our entire business is, is events and group bookings. And we sat everyone down, like literally that day, this is before anything had any restrictions from the government were in place. And we just said, everyone needs to go part-time immediately and that way we can keep everybody. And that's our number one is that we can all eat and have roofs over our head and ride this out. And the staff were amazing. They were, they were shocked. But, you know, a lot of our friends are in restaurants. So they it was happening there as well. Um, a lot of our friends are chefs and floor staff that already been stood down. Um, I think we all knew how lucky we were that we're at least going to all have jobs for six months, which was the plan. And then I think everyone just thought it would be back to normal. But we're sitting at almost six months now. <laughs> and it's, it's certainly not normal. What did you do in those early days to adapt and give work to those employees? Because although restaurants didn't necessarily have a takeaway model, it was their venues that people um, know and go to, whereas caterers put on events. Um, how, how did you create a business model to get income in? Yeah, so um, we have a little cafe window that's on a walking track. It's part of our commercial kitchen in Glen Iris. And we've always sort of done some take-home meals to pe- to locals um, throughout the years just as a winter cash flow sort of thing that helps us keep going. And we realised that that was basically all we could offer that was an event space. So Nerida did a bit of a post on our social media and it actually went crazy thankfully for us. Um, that was on the 13th of March. So again, before we'd actually been shut down, just saying, you know, we've got people to pay and we've got these meals that we can do and contact us if you'd like to place an order. And it went it went crazy. Andrew was on the email. We were actually at um, a really good friend of ours, Maddie Morgan's um, birthday party that weekend, all of us. It was the last event we were at. And Andrew just couldn't relax because his phone was just going off and we, we just knew we had to set up a system and really, really quickly. And he was like almost white as a ghost. So we'd gone from telling everyone that there was potentially no work to me calling all the staff being like, we need you in tomorrow. We've got hundreds of orders. We need to make this happen. And um, it was a new mayhem, but like really positive. Everyone just doing what they had to do to get it done. Um, and... I sort of spent the next week getting it onto an online platform. Um, there's a platform called Kookaburra. They contacted me and they said, contact me now. And I was like, oh, okay. And we just, <laughs> we we got on. And um, so we were actually on that platform within a week. And it was the biggest week I think we've ever had. You know, people that usually manage events, t- processing manual credit card orders, Andrew on the Cryvaca, you know, <laughs> mum packaging food. It was just You've never seen anything like it, but all positive and everyone was just so thankful and knew that this might get us through it. So um, it's been a whole – we basically created an entire business from scratch again. What sort of food were you doing uh, as compared to what you may do for the sort of premium event, events that you do? Yeah, so um, we were kind of doing food that we like to eat. So it was still – it was still on brand and sort of what we usually do, but it was more so we're doing one kilo packs and um, of, you know, different soups. Dylan does an incredible duck curry. Uh, we've done the Andrew Blake's World Best Practice Chicken Parma. We've done <laughs> lasagnas. We've done – we've got dumplings from David's. 
that it, that sell really well. Um, so sort of meals that you can eat as a family or, you know, so there's something for the kids, there's something for mum and dad, but still really good quality. And we've got we've now got two delivery drivers out full-time delivering to like over 500 suburbs. Wow. So it's it's actually doing really well, thankfully. And I understand that there was some controversy over the name of it originally and there has been a bit of fun involved in the slogans to um, sell the offering that you had. <laughs> yeah, um, Andrew is the creative one. He's always got great ideas and um, – at the start, because, you know, it was created overnight, it was Blake's Feast at Home and we went with it and we were happy with that. And then as everybody sort of evolved their offerings, there was a lot of at home and Andrew, you know, he comes to work in bright pink check golf pants daily. He doesn't like doing things the same as anyone. So <laughs> um, he was very quick to work on a new name and he came up with Blake Away, which we just all started laughing and loved and it's actually been really well received and he's – He's the marketing genius within the company at the moment. He's been coming up with some great slogans and keeping himself entertained. And um, it's it's been a nice thing to work on. It's obviously, you know, we're working on it from a necessity standpoint, but our aim at the moment is to get it up to the point where it covers our break-even costs without any government assistance and while there's no events. Andrew is a pretty colourful character and a renowned chef in Melbourne. How did Blake's Feast all start? Um, so I think when Blake's restaurant shut, he still had the cafeteria and my mother, Jenny had a deli. Oh, it's all quite, it's all quite intertwined actually. Andrew had Canis Blake and Caddis. Um, and then when mum and Andrew separated, she took over that cafe and it became the first version of Blake's feast. And, um, then she went into sort of, it's quite, we've come full circle cause she went into food wholesale and she was doing oils and vinegars and that, that kind of stuff for David Jones and Maya back then and then eventually decided it was quite hard and it was, you know, it's a hard hard thing to do so she shut that down. And then after Blake's restaurant shut and I think the cafeteria shut as well, um, mum had got the contract at the Malthouse Theatre and started sort of restarted Blake's Feast but it was just doing this one contract and Andrew became involved when his venues had shut and his businesses had shut as a way to, you know, earn income and help mum out and it sort of evolved from there. Um, I They were doing really well with that and doing a few events here and there but obviously starting a business isn't the easiest. I was studying at uni and started helping them with their website and some of their marketing and things like that and then I went, I started working on the tender for the Royal Botanic Gardens and with Andrew and mum and we got the contract and the company just kept sort of growing from there. Um, Nerida, my sister, came on a few years later and we all we all have totally different strengths but we all work in the business really well together. Can you take us through an event that you've run? You know, what does it take to run such a large event and have so many people well-fed and, um, and watered? Yeah, um, all events are so different. So I guess, you know, we have to adapt a lot to whatever the client's brief is but um, it can be anything from doing a custom menu for 10 people in their home and, and styling that their dining room and, you know, getting wines to match and bringing a sommelier in to assist with service through to being in a paddock, you know, on the Murray River and having to set up a kitchen and a venue from scratch, bringing in um, power supplies, bringing in absolutely everything, working with produce that they've got from the farm, 
um, you know, bringing in every single element. Um, and then a lot of these events, you work on the concept for a year or two before they happen. So, you know, people are planning them and planning this amazing experience for that long. So as well as the fact that at the moment we just don't know when we'll be allowed to be in groups even larger than five, um, there's a lot of planning that goes into these and it's going to affect the pipeline for quite a while as well. You must have had uh, quite a few disappointed people having to cancel all those events and um, that many may include brides as well and um, or future brides. What, what's it been like coping with that and trying to plan f- for weddings um, that I know that are an integral of, to your business? Yeah, I think weddings are such an emotional experience for people as well. So um, I feel like I feel like I need a crystal ball at the moment. I felt like it all year. There's a lot of there's a lot of trying to you know. I, I know how I feel about not knowing what's going to happen and everybody else in the event industry. So you've got these brides and grooms or, or corporate clients, but they're obviously not quite as emotional. But they, they just don't know. They've got family pressure where they're being asked what's happening because they've got interstate visitors. They've got you know budgetary situations. Some of them have lost their jobs. Um, the, you know, they're looking to us for guidance. And I was just on the phone to a bride before and she's great, but she's like, how's that crystal ball going? I'm like, I'm growing it. I'm growing it. I can see it because, you know, I honestly, I have clients and that have three different date options on hold. So we're still trying for December for their marquee wedding. We've got a backup of March, 2021, and we've got a backup of November, 2021. And wow, that's a long time to be talking about your wedding. It's a, it's a long time to not be eating and drinking too much during a lockdown and things like that. So it's it's sort of just staying in touch with them off like as much as I can and, and being really honest with them as well because it doesn't just affect them and us. There's so many other suppliers that are aff- affected as well. And there's there's entire businesses that exist just based on linen hire for weddings and candle hire and, and things like that. Victoria's had the unfortunate situation of uh – bigger lockdown and a harsher lockdown than the rest of Australia. What's the impact been like on your industry given you went through that first lockdown and your business was able to find some income stream but the the second lockdown was stage four? What sort of impact has that had? Um, it's, it's pretty dire. I think that um, when the first lockdown happened, there was still some hope. You know, people were worried. Obviously, every business has its own cash flow situation as well. But there was a lot of calling other other suppliers and chatting to other caterers and brainstorming and trying to work out ways that you could service and, and all of that kind of thing. But when this second lockdown happened, it's it's been pretty quiet, to be honest. I think people are, like, especially in events, we just don't know what's next. Um, we're, we're totally not in control in any way. Um, we're, we're not going to be opening with small numbers. Um, group gatherings are par- part of what's caused this second wave in Victoria. So it's really not looking great for the events industry. And, you know, we've been trying to touch base with different people just to make sure people are okay this round because I think it's hitting people a lot harder this time around. Like it's it's not pretty. Just to touch on weddings again, they're, they're quite a stressful event uh, for the participants. How have your clients been coping during this period? Um, I think our clients, 
you know, we have a very one-on-one relationship with our clients. So they, they're doing okay. They're frustrated, but they are doing okay. I, I have heard of clients, not ours, that have just pulled the pin entirely because they just can't deal with all the unknown. So whether it's a wedding, you know, they've just, they've just said, I'm not dealing with it this year. We'll just wait and see. Um, one of our staff members was actually meant to get married on the 25th of March. So she went right through it. We went to cater it. And um, it went from, I think it went from 20, uh, it went from down to 50 and we, we were planning for a 50 and then it went down to 20 and she just burst into tears. It was all organised. And I just looked at her and said, all right, you got two options. We reschedule for later in the year or if you want to get married, let's make it happen. It can still be beautiful. So we, you know, she dropped her guest list down to her family. We moved it to the gardens. She had an amazing day. But I think a lot of people are just waiting. They're just waiting and seeing because we just don't know what's going to happen. This period has been difficult, but I understand that you got quite a good contract during the pandemic. Yeah, we, um, I guess we've been doing Blake away the whole time. So people know that we're still fully operational. We thankfully have picked up some catering for some of the the troops that are here. Um, I think there's lots of them here staying at different places, but we have picked up some, which is definitely we're very thankful for because it's it's helping the cash flow, that's for sure. It's been great. How hard is it to plan for the future when there is so much uncertainty going forward for your industry? Um, it's, yeah, look, it's really hard. I think a friend of mine described it as grieving. You're sort of, you're grieving all the things you can't do, but you're kind of grieving the business that's on hold. We, um, from a Blake's Feast point of view, we are all dreaming for the day that we can have events. Like we love events, you know, it's what we do. But for the foreseeable future, we just don't know what that's going to look like. And it really may be, it, it could be back to semi-normal at the end of the year, but there's a real chance that it could be another year after that. So I think that... Um, that's pretty disheartening, but we know that when that side of the business is back, you know, we'll be we'll be ready to go and we'll be stronger than ever. But for now, we're sort of taking this time to work on all our menus and work on Blakeaway and building this biz- this new business up. Um, we think it's a business that will be viable after this is over. We think we've found a spot in the market and we're really enjoying doing it. So we're just pushing as hard as we can um, to get that up to a level that it needs to be where it's covering our costs so that if it is another year, we're okay and that we've got this great product that we're offering to everyone as well. So it's kind of been we – haven't, we haven't had any downtime. There's no events, but it's been pretty hectic in a good way, I guess. I've got to be thankful for it at the moment. You're all very hands-on there and, you know, you've been juggling um, kids and homeschooling and – um, parenting as well as running a business. What's what's been the personal toll on you during this time? Oh, it's um, it's. I was speaking. Yeah, it's really starting to show on the kids now. I think the second lockdown, but um, it's hard because we're on site physically packaging food and in the kitchen. And my sister has two young girls as well. And um, but the kids can't be at school and they've got to be at home. So uh, we've actually from day dot had one of our waiters that doesn't have any work, Holly, helping with the homeschooling, which um, she's got a little team of them and she is an amazing homeschooler. But I think it's it's so hard because you, you go at a million miles an hour at work sort of fighting for survival and then you get home and you've got these kids that have been inside all day and it's now we're now 
looking at close to six months of them not really being at school, no activities, not enough outdoor, way too much screen time. It's, it's, um, it's hard to see now and it's, I think we're all ready for it to be over, that's for sure. With the restrictions in place, you know, the pandemic has made it uh, tougher for us to interact socially. How do you think that will impact the events industry moving forward? I think uh, between the first lockdown and the second lockdown, we were actually surprised at how many people wanted to have, you know, five people at their house and 20 people at their house. And obviously everyone was just really missing that interaction. But I do think that people might be a bit gun-shy now because of what's happened in Victoria. And I, I guess that's that's our fear is that we don't know what the market's going to look like and we don't know how people are going to behave. Like people have been spending a lot of time at home doing not a lot. And, you know, I know I'll be out there getting into restaurants the minute I can, but maybe not every, I'm starting to think maybe not everyone's like that and people are really scared and until there's a vaccine, you know, potentially people won't be having as many events and doing as much entertaining, although I really can't imagine how because I'll be chomping at the bit, but maybe some people will be really cautious. What sort of impact has that had on your business? Have you had to have separate teams to ensure uh, that you can do events and cater for people moving forward? And um, what's what's been the impact on the operations? Yeah, there's um, it's such a steep learning curve for everybody. Obviously, we want to keep our staff safe and we want to keep the, the premises open because if we can't operate, we can't make any of the food. So um, a few of my friends that work in different corporate environments started at me at the very start of the pandemic about teams and I was like, what are you talking about teams? They're like, you've got to have a blue and a red team and they can't cross over and you've got to do a deep clean in between and, I, you know, our heads were spinning. I was calling family meetings and they were all just looking at me and I was like, I know it's another thing to think about but what if this happened? So... Um, it's pretty hard being, you know, chefs in front of house people at heart and being in teams and trying to have Zoom meetings and things that just, you know, we never thought we'd have to do. But um, we have sort of worked it out. We're in teams. We have big, deep cleans. We've obviously got to have a COVID safe plan. We've had face masks since March and that was our choice because, you know, we've got staff that might have different health ailments or you know, they've got young kids at home and as much as we want the business to survive and thrive, you know, after this, we've also got to keep everyone safe. So there's been there's been a lot to learn and, you know, um, I remember having conversations with Sophie who is our operations manager who at the moment is packaging downstairs and we were talking about how to do service from a social distance, like at a private dinner. And we had ourselves in hysterics about, you know, how you serve someone when you're a metre and a half away. And this was all before all the guidelines came out. But, you know, we all grew up working in restaurants and we love holding events and we love hosting events. And it was this whole, like, having to, you know, use a tray or having back back to the 90s, everyone has individual side salads, no shared sort of meals. Or do you have your own tongs at weddings? Or So, you know, there's... There's so many different things you can think of and it's the landscape's changing constantly. And again, we just don't know how it's going to look. But it's um, there's a lot of, obviously, a lot more compliance and a lot of things you need to think about now to keep everybody safe. If your crystal ball was active before the pandemic, uh, do you think uh, there's any way that the industry could have been better prepared for the pandemic? Oh, 
not really. You know, what what our industry does is gets groups of people together and throws throws great parties and makes sure everyone has an amazing experience that they'll remember. I just um, I think that the industry is doing really well at trying to sort of stay supportive of one another, but I think we're all sort of really hoping our crystal balls start working so that we can guess what's next and try to prepare for it. Well, speaking of guess what's next, next, I understand that you've become the COVID predictor at your work. Can you tell us about that? Oh, I must be so annoying. I've actually stopped watching the daily press conferences because they're just too long and there's so much blaming going on. But Earlier on, I was the COVID predictor. I would every day, I'd get online, listen to what they had to say, give an update, talk about, you know, all the different things. And Nerida, my sister and I, would sit there trying to preempt what was next. And I actually think that that's part of the reason why we've sort of had such great momentum with what we've been doing with Blakeaway because, you know, when the restrictions eased slightly, we thought about, okay, what's next? They're probably going to have small dinners at home. So we were already working on the packages and and I guess what we like to eat and what we like to do and we were trying to think about what the restrictions will be and, and what could be next. And obviously early, early days we thought there was a lot of rumour about stage four and what it was and if it was going to be similar to a New Zealand type lockdown and we, we didn't go into it, which was a great thing. But, you know, the number one thing we were trying to think about was, are we essential now? Are we an essential service? Because if we were just event, still in events, we were definitely not essential. But now that it's food supply, a lot, a lot of what we're doing, um, we realised that we had sort of inadvertently become an essential service and that we would be able to keep operating. But, you know, I think it's hard to not become a bit obsessed with predicting what's next. I have, I have cooled it a little bit now because... It's quite exhausting after six months of trying to predict something that you've never, ever lived through. And, you know, when people are asking you the answers to things, you're just, you're trying to, you're trying to give them the most information you can, but obviously we just don't know. We're just trying to prepare for every possible contingency and make sure that, you know, the staff is still getting paid and the suppliers are still getting paid as well, because that's been a massive part of it. The suppliers are a lot smaller than us that are hurting a lot. Well, speaking of essential businesses and given what we've just been through and currently going through, do you think the Blakeaway model will continue to be part of the business on the other side of the pandemic? Uh, yeah, definitely. That's um, something we're working towards. We, yeah, we think that it's there's a lot of demand for it and even though obviously at the moment there's more demand because everybody's stuck inside, we think that um, the product offering, the feedback we're getting from people is that it's it's for if you're busy working at home and you just want really good quality food, then they're just really enjoying it. We've got a lot of repeat customers that are just checking in with us every week to make sure that this will continue on forever. So I think it absolutely will be. And I think that until events are back to normal, you know, the, the four family members and pretty much 20 other staff are actively working on Blakeaway. And that's what we're working on at the moment. Well, when events are back up and running, how, how's that going to feel? Oh, it's going to feel great. I'm really missing them. I keep saying to my December clients that haven't cancelled that I just really hope their event can go. I really hope their event can go just so that we can run the event. You know, the chefs, we're all dying to do it again. Um, at the moment, we're doing a little bit of work here on our kitchen with extra cool rooms and things, getting ready for what it looks like when we've got events back and we've got Blake away. And obviously... Um, 
they're well aligned, but we need to work on, you know, what staffing we're going to need. And just like every, you know, in events, everybody has scaled right down. You know, some, some companies had thousands of staff have a dozen staff. Wow. So we're lucky. Be, yeah. Like, and cause like the higher companies that hire furniture and things, you can't really pivot, but they've got massive workforces that do the tennis and the races and they've had to stand people down because nothing's happening at the moment. So I think we're lucky because we've still got our entire core team, but what we're spending a bit of time working on now is what it looks like in six months or 18 months when we've got Blake's Feast and Blake away and how we make sure that, you know, both of them are still amazing. So there's a fair bit of work to be done on that. It's, it's just finding the brain space in the current climate to think clearly about them. Well, I think we're all looking forward to a time when we can all uh, enjoy larger public events and have a drink and a, and a bite to eat and enjoy the good life. Uh, Casey, thanks so much for joining us on Deep in the Weeds. Uh, please keep in touch and uh, we'll talk to you soon. No problem. Thanks for having me on. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.